We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue wire. How about I go ahead and address the larger than average elephant in the room? No, I have never coached the sport that you folks call football. And heck, you could fill two internets with what I don't know about football. <laughs> Hold on now. If I were to get fired from a job where I'm putting cleats in the trunk of my car. You got the boot for putting boots in the boot. <laughs> I love that. You know what the happiest animal on earth is? It's goldfish. You know why? No. Got a 10-second memory. Be a goldfish, Sam. All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Bandujo. Uh, On this podcast, we've been covering mostly sports movies every Monday for the past two years, but it is time to take a break from sports movies for a few weeks because on July 23rd, we get a new season of Ted Lasso. I was late to the Ted Lasso train. only finally watched a couple months ago because I am wildly cheap and got a free year of Apple Plus and and decided to check it out, but I am now, I'm all in on Ted. Jason Sudeikis, deserved his golden globe 100 times over he probably deserves every golden globe from here on out honestly it just ted lasso is the best so that being said on this podcast for the next 10 mondays we're re-watching ted lasso season one one episode a week every monday leading up to the season two premiere on friday july 23rd I'm also very excited because for the next 10 episodes, I've got a co-host that I'm very excited to talk Ted with. She is a video strategist, podcaster, and a huge fan of Ted Lasso. It's Alex McDaniel. Alex, welcome to Big Screen Sports. Thanks so much for joining. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting. Yeah, I am thrilled to be talking Ted Lasso with you for the uh, for the next 10 weeks. Before we get into Ted, tell the folks uh, where they can find you, what what you have going on. Oh, where can't you find me? Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm technically a freelancer and a contractor. I work for a few different media companies, but um, you can find me on Twitter at Alex McDaniel. That's where I share most of my Ted Lasso opinions, just opinions about everything. And I'm easy enough to find on pretty much every other social platform. So um, I'm not really hiding from anyone. <laughs> you can find me pretty easily. So that's Twitter's where I, I found you for this rewatch. I saw you tweeting about Ted Lasso. I had, I was trying to figure out who to, who to embark on this Lasso journey with. And when I saw you tweeting about how much you enjoyed it, I've been a fan of your work for a long time. Really excited Thank that you. you're on board for this. Alex, when did you, let's just, before we get into the actual episode that we're covering today, when did you first experience Ted Lasso? So it was sometime after 
um, the pandemic and the lockdown and like somewhere within the lockdown, I guess it was April, May last year, I had been working at SB Nation as a deputy editor and I had just gotten furloughed with all of my staff members, unfortunately. And I just remember one morning I was kind of browsing on my phone, a little depressed, and I saw a preview for it. And I knew that Sudeikis had done this you know, line of commercials before as this Ted Lasso character. And I love him and I love SNL, but I didn't think much of it. And then I watched the preview and I thought it was so charming. (laughs) And it was like this football coach who's going to play soccer. And so it was really early before it even premiered that I was like sending this to friends and saying, we need to watch this. I think it's going to be really funny. And I can't remember when it premiered. Was it August maybe? All I know is like first episode I was there And that was back, you know, when they were releasing it once a week, you couldn't binge it. And every week I would tweet a little more about it. And I didn't want to be obnoxious, but it was just so good that I was trying to tell people, like, I know things are really bad right now. We're all having a hard time. This is 30 minutes out of your week that you'll feel really good about something. And then the finale, oddly enough, was like two days before my birthday in October. And so like I rode the whole thing out and I just thought it was incredible. So uh, this is like the perfect pandemic show because it is every episode is so uplifting, makes you feel so good. And yet again, me being such a cheap bastard got in my (laughs) way of having this in my life because... I saw, you know, I I saw, I knew that it was coming out and I was really familiar with the commercials and I was like, TV show about a commercial, like I really like Jason Sudeikis, big SNL fan. I like horrible bosses and, and, um, you know, we're the Millers and stuff like that. But I was like, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. And then people like you and everyone on Twitter, it seems like kept, oh, Ted Lasso's the best. Ted Lasso's so good. Like, you need to watch this. And I'm just like, yeah, but yeah, Apple Plus is $7 a month, whatever it costs. And I was just like, I'm not, I'm not jumping in on that. And then <laughs> a couple months ago, I finally got a new phone, which I was also overdue on because I'm cheap and found out I get this free month of Apple Plus. So my wife and I sit down. I'm like, okay, let's, let's watch Ted Lasso. Let's see what this is about. And I was, everyone hyped it up so much. And every single person was exactly right. It is such a good show. Like one of the best seasons of TV I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the reasons I was like hesitant to tweet too much about it is because we've all been there where something gets overhyped and overhyped and all you hear is you have to watch it. And if you don't, you're not part of this conversation. And then what happens? You eventually watch it and it's not as good. And I didn't want to do that to people. I didn't want them to think like I'm overselling it. So I think the most I did every week, I wasn't like telling people you have to watch it. All I would tell people is, I promise you this will give you hope in something again. It's going to give you hope in people again. And for whatever reason, like a lot of my friends and followers kind of picked up on that. And I'm glad they did. To quote Ted Sign, it's going to make you believe. How quickly were you <laughs> sold? Like in this, in, in episode one, how how quick were you like, I'm in on this as long as it goes? Well, you know, I'm a writer. And so I'm, I am big on any show that has incredible writing. And I think this is one of the best written comedies of all time, personally. So just as appreciating the craft, I knew pretty quickly in just the way that they were getting off one-liners and things that most people wouldn't catch, but maybe you'd catch it later. I knew that was going to sell me. 
But it was the moment when Ted and Rebecca are standing in the hall before he goes into the press conference, like right when he meets her. And he points out unknowingly the photo of her ex-husband. And she's like, yeah, that was my ex-husband. And you would think you could just move on from that joke. Like, oh, well, he, he doesn't look like that good of a time. But he stops and he looks at her and he says, yeah, I heard about that. How are you holding up? And that was the first clue to me, like, oh, this is something more. This isn't just a funny, witty show. They're going to try to make some. They're going to try to make me cry <laughs> out of this. And I'm like, that really hooked me because I'm like, that you don't just throw that in there for no reason. You could easily make the joke and move on. Um, but to me, that was kind of the first sign that this is something more than just you know a show with an SNL alum. Phrase we're probably going to use a lot is Ted Lasso is just a gem of a human. Yes. Probably the best person in the world. Yeah, he is. He's a good, but obviously what I, what I like about it though, generally speaking about the show, and I know we'll get into the first episode, obviously he fails. Like the whole show is about his failure professionally, but it also gets into his failure personally. He couldn't maintain his marriage. He moves and starts another sport that he's not equipped to coach. I mean, that's what's so funny about it is you see this great person who in our minds can do no wrong even though things around them in their life are falling apart. And I think that's a huge part of why people are drawn to it. And I think why it's so successful is this show could easily be a big time spoof, kind of like the commercials were. The commercials are a little more spoofy and yeah. just this this fish out of water who doesn't get soccer rules. And it's funny and doesn't get like British culture. And and Ted, you could easily see the, the eternal optimist kind of being a spoof character, but they grounded in reality so much, like you said, with his his personal failures and his professional failures and and really ground the show in a certain sense that you you actually believe that this could happen in a way and it's it's just so charming it's so perfect i am i'm so let's let's jump right into it let's okay. jump into let's ted lasso episode one the pilot american football coach ted lasso is hired by a wealthy divorcee to coach the english soccer team afc richmond star jason sudeikis hannah waddingham and Brendan Hunt. This episode was directed by Tom Marshall. I like to sometimes find IMDb trivia. It's obviously more prevalent in movies. Uh, most movies have you know a million things about them. There's really only two notable things about this episode. Uh, one of them is just the celebration dance that Jason Sudeikis does as Ted Lasso in the Wichita State locker room is the same dance that he does in the SNL segment, What's Up With That? <laughs> which I found out last night my wife had never seen, so we got to watch some What's Up With That? Which was a thrill. <laughs> It's so good. Sudeikis is just, he's so talented. I have a huge crush on him. He's, I mean, he's the best. Everyone, I mean, the mustache is talented. Everything's talented. <laughs> he's, he's the best. Um, and in, the, in a clip from ESPN commentator Scott Van Pelt describing Coach Lasso's American football background, he mentions that he was the head coach at Division II Wichita State. In actuality, the Shockers do not have a football program. Plus, the Shockers are members of the National Collegiate Athletic Association Division One. The only reason I bring that up is I don't know if Wichita State has capitalized on this, but they should be slinging Ted Lasso merch like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> What's funny about this is in the original pilot script, the team was supposed to be the very real, very Division II Pittsburgh State Gorillas in Kansas. Like that's what was written in. That's That was Scott's line. And I've always been curious as to why they changed that at the last minute because it was absolutely the program they could have used <laughs> that would have been accurate. But I think maybe they were just going for recognizability, even if it was incorrect. But, you know, Kansas is Kansas. 
Yeah, the the Wichita thing, I think uh, having the town that most people or the city that most people would kind of know is in Kansas, the Wichita, yeah. Kansas, that might help. But something you just said, we, we talked before we recorded that you have read through the, the episode one script. So I'm counting on you to drop some dimes throughout this recap. <laughs> I will try. So uh, something I wanted to do with uh, with each episode is kind of start off by by asking each other a question about this episode. A few months back, we did an Eastbound and Down rewatch, and it did kind oh, of God. the same thing at, at the at the yeah that was uh, that was one that my wife was not quite as on board with uh, <laughs> watching Eastbound. She did not experience Kenny Powers in the moment, so experiencing Kenny Powers ten years later was a little tough. It's rough. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, but uh, just just kind of wanted to. Um, some some sort of icebreaker or something to to start the conversation about this episode. Uh, I wanted to. You are the guest. I will defer. If you want to go first, you can go first. But I have one as well. I'm gonna let you go first because my burning question is a little more obscure, and I think yours is probably more direct. So let's hit. Let's start with that. Well, mine kind of uh, <laughs> goes into one of your your main interests. Which college football coach needs to try another sport? Ooh, wow. Uh, Hugh Freeze. Oh, but so what is what is Hugh Freeze going to coach though? I mean, I could see him coaching soccer. I can. Here's here's my reasoning. He came into Arkansas State before he started at Ole Miss. He was a women's basketball coach at Briarcrest. He was also an assistant coach um, for the football team at Briarcrest, which is a private school in Memphis. I don't know where your audience is, so I should I should probably explain what I'm talking about. Um, and the biggest criticism against him is that. Oh, you coach basketball. And of course, the sexism, you coach women's basketball. How could you possibly coach football? Say what you want about Hugh Freeze. He had a few great years at Ole Miss. And I think he has the type of versatility that he could probably go on and coach whatever he wanted if he put his mind to it. So I could could see him. I could see him going to England, coaching some football. He could be Richmond's person. I could weirdly see Gus Malzahn coaching soccer, but yeah. it's more of just how he looks. It's like the visor, the sweater vest. I feel like that would <laughs> that would fit right in. I could see that. I mean, there are a lot. If I had thought about this question, if I had known this question was coming, I probably could have come up with a better answer. But that was really just kind of off the cuff because there are definitely coaches who you could only see coaching football like I can't see Nick Saban coaching anything there's too much losing in anything else yeah exactly it would kill him but I could see like a Lane Kiffin type personality wise who'd be like yeah why not I could try something (laughs) else like whatever I'm rich regardless or even like not even a football coach like Andy Kennedy like he's a basketball coach who I think if you you put him anywhere all right well uh, okay, let's try. You gonna pay me? Fine, let's do it. I would love to see Ed Orgeron coaching soccer. <laughs> I don't think I, anyone wants to see that. <laughs> so I, I will say I have limited soccer and Premier League knowledge, like a very base level. But my understanding is the the manager doesn't do a whole lot during the game, like the Ted Lasso figure. So exactly. I feel like that would be very frustrating to college football coaches who are just notorious control freaks. Yes. See, that's my thinking too. Is you want somebody who's totally fine with being like Mike Leach. Mike Leach would be a great. <laughs> oh, he'd love it. He would love it. He would implement some wild ass game plan and then just sit his happy ass on the bench. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think coach browsing, Be- browsing OAN on Twitter or whatever he does. <laughs> oh, his time. I think coach beard too. Whenever I think about him as a character, I'm always like, which sec football team would he serve the best on? If we had to stick him on that, I honestly don't know. I'm not sure. Well, I will defer to you now. What is, what was your, opening question so it's not a very good opening question because my I think 
the fact that I've rewatched the show so much, it's hard for me to break it down by episodes. But one thing I had just a huge takeaway from the series that I think we find its roots in episode one is Ted Lasso a feminist triumph? Like, truly, when you think about it, because we look at the women who are introduced in the show, you look at Rebecca, even though she's certainly set up to fail, she's certainly set up in the beginning to kind of be made fun of, oh, your husband cheated on you, da-da-da, at no point does she buckle, at no point does she get sad or throw a pity party, even though she's kind of a villain (laughs) in the first episode, it's very clear she knows who's done her wrong. She knows the position she's in, and she's determined to make a life for herself that's separate from her husband. But I also see the same thing with Keely. So even though there's not a big scene with Keely here, other than she comes back during Jamie getting waxed. <laughs> Get the phone. Yeah, because at first when she comes in, you think, oh, she's going to fit this stereotype of like an athlete's girlfriend, right? She comes in and like, you know, oh, boys, I thought you were dressed or whatever. And... It's the moment when she comes back in and she has that moment with Ted where she's helping him fix the sign. And and you can tell he treats her in a way that's very respectful, that's not just the, oh, you're an athlete's girlfriend. He treats her as as somebody who's essential to the organization because she's associated with somebody in the organization. Um, and you even find, like, as we start diving into this, even though we don't know yet in episode one, we can tell the relationship with Ted and his wife is complicated. We can tell when he's on the plane looking at their picture. We can tell when he's on the phone with her at the end of the episode and clearly something has gone wrong and he's trying to give her space. Like you see a setup here of women kind of claiming their own space. And, you know, as a woman, like that sticks out to me. It stuck out to me in episode one. Obviously it shows full, um, proof of that as the show goes on but I think episode one whether you realize it or not is really setting that up of like yes the show's about Ted the show's about this team of men but look at the women who play the surrounding players and look at how they're already establishing themselves early on yeah it really does flesh out the characters and the thing with Rebecca and how it kind of does set her up in a way to be that villain and it's kind of the the major league plot, but in the difference between, cause you, you can draw that obvious parallel of like the female owner looking to tank the team, but in major league, it's done in a very in retrospect. And I would just like to say, I love major league, but in it very much like she is just a gold digger. Who's looking to move this team to Miami and doesn't care at all. Rebecca is someone who has been wrong, has been treated poorly and is now taking control of her life. And Yes, you, you're you not happy that she's kind of trying to throw Ted to the wolves, but you also feel the sympathy for her and feel this respect for her and that she is, she is very justified in everything she's trying to do and the people she's firing and watching her, you know, tell the current coach to go fuck himself is fantastic. And it, yeah, but in the same with Keely, they, they're really fleshing out these characters and they're not just they're not just there as supporting pieces to support the plot development for the for the male characters even though the show is heavily male i think i mean i think you're 100 percent right i mean you said it far better than i ever could but it it really is a feminist triumph i mean i just my big moment and i i brought it up earlier it's the moment when ted says to her how are you holding up like it just like you said with the major league comparison there's never a moment of vulnerability in major league there's never a moment of hey, I've actually been destroyed by a man and I've been embarrassed and this is all I've got to cling to. And that's Rebecca's moment where she suddenly softens and 
says, well, it hasn't been the easiest year, where she could have just blown it off and said, I'm fine, I'm doing great, whatever, let's play. Um, and I think, again, that like it shows you the willingness for her to kind of break a little bit makes me not buy into her totally as a villain. Yeah, because there's a ton of those humanization moments as the the season goes on, too. And you really see, especially the the episode with the um, the charity event, where it's like Rebecca has been seriously wrong. Yeah. She's very justified in everything she everything she is feeling. But yeah. with that, um, I want to start out with with the best scene. And so, in a typical episode of this show, I kind of a cu- couple scenes that are highlights of of the movie and stuff like that. With a show like Ted Lasso, it is very hard to be picky because I, I would just like to almost list every single thing in this show. So I'm going to kind of run through these chronologically. If I miss any of your favorites, though, stop me. If I, if I miss something <laughs> chronologically, please interject because I would love to talk about every single moment of this episode. Sure. Ep- the first scene of the show, which doesn't have Ted Lasso in it, is Rebecca firing the coach where she is a force to be reckoned with. It builds the the instant sympathy for her in the fact that she has been wrong like this, which you're, you're going to need when she does some more of the villainous stuff to Ted. But then, you know, then you get the how Ted Lasso winds up in uh, in AFC Richmond. I, I really enjoy the scene of her just basically dressing the coach down and getting them hell out of there. Yeah, no, I think that was actually like we talked about best one liners, which <laughs> I can't get over this because, again, I'm a writer, so I, I find the writing so brilliant when she makes the comment. I can't remember it verbatim when she's talking about the coach's shorts and how they're so short that she can always see one of his testicles. And then he crosses his legs and it's brilliant. She says, and there's the other one, Liam and Noel, though perhaps not an oasis. It's the most brilliant thing ever. And if you're not familiar with Oasis, maybe you wouldn't get it. But I just think it's just so subtle and so smart. And I think it's, it's brilliant. I can't get over that line. Let me have it. Of course. You're fired. Yeah, right. And I'll be buying out the remainder of your contract, so wish you the best of luck. Fired? What the fuck for? I suppose I could go for any number of reasons, really. Your casual misogyny, for one. What? I know, it's a big word. Ask one of your daughters what it means. Or perhaps it's your performance, having led this team through yet another remarkably average season. Or maybe it's because you insist on wearing those tiny shorts that force me to see one of your testicles. And there's the other one, Liam and Noel, though perhaps not an oasis. All the lines like that, they're so just quick and subtle. And I mean, everything is perfectly done. Yeah. The next scene I've got is when Ted and Coach Beard actually get to AFC Richmond when they when they get to the stadium. Uh, you get that that little gl- Coach Beard talking about soccer being invented to prevent masturbation, yes. which is the, you get like Coach Beard running through the rules of soccer and the history of soccer is a great running gag that I that I enjoy. And then they also meet just precious Nate and and suddenly we've got three pure gems all together we we've got the gang together we've got Ted and Coach Beard and Nate and we're gonna ride with these guys for 10 episodes yeah what I love about Nate I love a lot of things about Nate but what kills me about that scene is when you first meet him and then he realizes oh you're the new manager blah 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 you think okay Nate's a pushover Nate's gonna worship whomever is his boss that's what you assume but what kills you or what what kind of kills that idea 
is when they meet and then Nate reinforces, but you've got to get off the grass. Like you have to go (laughs) no matter what. And it shows you like he's a pushover for the game and he's a pushover for the sport and for that club. And I I loved that because it, again, it's subtle, but it shows you where his priorities are. Like he'll show respect to everybody, but at the end of the day, you have to get off the grass. As a dad, I can really respect Nate's Nate's, you know his desire to keep the grass prim and proper exactly next scene i've got is is ted's first press conference which is very (laughs) stressful but i like that it gets to the ridiculous of like the ridiculous nature of the plot it's important for the show and a big difference from the commercial where ted was a little more of the classic football coach it is important that the Trent Krim is there asking this honest question about how ridiculous this is. All right, one final question. Uh, how about Phil right there in the second row? Yeah. I, I like your glasses. Oh, thank you. Trent Krim, the Independent. I just want to make sure I have this right. You're an American who's never set foot in England, whose athletic success has only come at the amateur level, a second tier one at that and has now been charged with the leadership of a Premier League football club, despite clearly possessing very little knowledge of the game. You got a question in there, Trent? Yeah. Is this a fucking joke? <laughs> Thank you, Trent! I love journalists. And acknowledging that it is, it's fucking bonkers that they have brought a, an American football coach over to coach soccer. Because if, if they had just told us that this is a thing and not had this massive outrage and disbelief from the town, then it, I, the show I don't think would have landed as well if they didn't really try to ground it in reality and tell the audience too, like, hey, yes, we realize that this is, this is ridiculous. Yeah, you know, that scene, even since the first time I watched it, and again, it's kind of going back into the feminist triumph area, but it's more of just a personal story. You know, my background was in news and magazines. It wasn't in sports. I was a sports fan, but I didn't write about it. When I started writing about it, my specific focus was about the people. I wrote stories about rabid fans. I wrote stories about these bonkers things that people would do to have like weddings and funerals in the theme of their team. I was never the person that was like going to go cover a game. But eventually, you know, you work for an organization long enough and you have to do that. And I was honest from the beginning, like outside of football, which football is my thing. But outside of that, like I'm not your stats person on basketball. I'm not going to be able to give you analysis on these other things. I know my strengths. But when you're a woman in sports, that's a weapon that could be used against you very easily. And so there's a lot more pressure of like, oh, well, if you don't know everything there is to know about that sport, you you can't possibly understand how to tell those stories. And I think that's bullshit. Uh, because to me, the hard thing is learning how to find the good stories about the people and the athletes and the coaches. The easy thing is to learn the rules. The easy thing is to learn the stats. The easy thing is to learn how this works. And so to me, personally, and I don't know if any of my uh, you know, colleagues or any other woman in sports feels this way. It reminded me so much of just like a woman going into a bar, sitting down, a guy talks to her, he finds out, oh, you're in sports? Well, name every player that played for the Dallas Cowboys <laughs> in 1978. Like, that's what it reminded me of. And of course, by that, I mean, of course they would expect a coach of a team to understand these basic things, like how many games are there in a season, da 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 But just the feeling of it and him being overwhelmed and having to having to go along with it and still try to find something in him to convince him, like, 
I'll be okay because I care about these players. I care about them getting good at this. I'm not going to steer them wrong. It's not that I'm negligent. It's not that I'm choosing not to care. I just don't know yet. And so you're right. It's very important in setting up the show. It's very important in setting up like he is truly clueless. But at the same time, I feel like at that point in the show, you can tell like there's no doubt he will do what he has to do to get to where he needs to be. But his main focus is coaching those men into being the most that they can be. That sounds a little Pollyanna, but I believe it's true. You also get him uh, spitting the fizzy water all over the the microphones, which is wonderful. Bonkers to me. I like. I don't understand that at all. Mind you, I'm very ignorant when it comes to um, like British culture, so I don't know if that's a standard to always have sparkling water <laughs> at press conferences. But to me, it's just like one of those classic gags. It's just like a good SNL gag, and I'm fine with it. I love it. No, but I mean, you're spot on. You're 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 spot on with it's just such an overwhelming feeling you feel for Ted. But you also feel that he is genuinely here to to like you said, to to help these players and to do his best, which is it sounds super corny. But like Ted Lasso is a guy who's going to give you 100 percent. You get the sense of that in that press conference. Yeah, Um, he just just needs to, you know, a little direction first. Yeah. Uh, the last scene I've got is Ted in the locker room and Ted and Beard putting their desk together and redoing the office and, and hanging up like the the NC State poster, the all that stuff. I, I'm a huge fan of them just like making it their own. Uh, and then you get that that kind of um, that interaction with Jamie where Jamie is wearing the hat that says icon and the, the matching outfit, just complete stereotypical British soccer douchebag. Uh, you, yeah. you know, you know a lot about Jamie in that first conversation. It's impossible to like Jamie. Like I'm sure he's lovely in real life. Don't <laughs> get me wrong, but they cast him so well in playing just the self-absorbed. Like I know who I am. I've got the hot model girlfriend. I'm gonna do whatever I want. I mean, it was very well cast. And then you have this. Not a complete contrast, but you do in Roy Kent, who's clearly older, like he once was a legend. Now he's just trying to hold on to something. There was one, you can tell this is a guy who was probably Jamie Tart 15 years ago, and he's not there anymore. So he's the wise one. Um, but yeah, I, I love that entire scene. And I, I just, the desk together is so sweet because it shows like they're truly a team. Like, they don't know how to work together if they're not completely working together. And it shows Ted's mentality when it comes to that. The fact that he even brought him over with him. It wasn't just him by himself. It was kind of a, if I don't have him, I'm not going to be able to do this. I think it gives you more insight into who Ted is as a coach and as a person and a friend. And saying, I can't do this job the way I can if I have someone like Coach Beard there. So all of that, I think, is just fabulous the show doesn't work as well as it does if you don't have beard there because you need someone else who truly understands ted lasso you need someone to know to acknowledge that this guy is genuine and his his ex like how eccentric he is 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 something that that is an honest quality about him and you if we didn't have coach beard if we didn't have someone who had this past with ted lasso we'd be a little more uncertain as to will this guy's stuff actually work but you see the belief in beard of ted and and that in turn makes it easier to buy into this guy and have a little confidence that this is going to work in some regard yeah and i think um my probably one of my favorite lines from that episode is when Roy comes in the office and he makes the comment about, I didn't think my last year would be being coached by Ronald fucking McDonald. And then Ted says, if he thinks he's mad now, just wait till we win him over. 
and they cut to Coach Beard, and he says, he'll be furious. (laughs) It's so good, and it just shows how in sync they are in terms of, like, they know what they're there to do. They know that it's not college anymore, but they still have this secret formula to winning people over and to listening to what they need and caring about them as people and not just athletes on a field. And I think it's very special. Which kind of like you touched on when we were talking about the press conferences is really the most important quality in a coach is caring about your players and wanting everyone to succeed and wanting to to buy in the certain sense of belief. It's not always, you know, the X's and O's and stuff like that. And you at the very base level in any sport, any kind of coach, it is just it's fostering a good environment and believing in your players and having them trust you. And that's and that's all it is. And and Ted and Coach Beard bring that in spades. Did I miss any of your favorite scenes? Yes. To me, the biggest scene that I love, and it makes me cry every time I watch it. So the scene at the end when everybody departs and Ted and Coach Beard are walking down the street and Coach Beard says, I'm a few doors down. Ted walks into his apartment and you have this piano music play. Now, let me tell you, from the script and this stayed in the final, the script says... Um, music cue Opus 26 by Dustin O'Halloran. You can listen to it on Spotify. And this is the exact music that plays when he walks in. And it says in parentheses, no pressure, but we'd really love it if you played this as you read the rest of the script. (laughs) 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 And like, and it's perfect because, you know, it's sentimental. And like, it's truly his first moment alone, totally alone. He walks into this apartment that he doesn't recognize. There's a gift basket that says congrats Tim Lasso he he (laughs) grabs some potato chips he goes and takes a shower he's looking around this isn't a guy who is just totally down on his luck like clearly he appreciates everything around him but that's when we get to the core of what he's doing and why he's there and he calls his family and he calls his young son and he's like oh yeah I forgot about the time difference And clearly he's got a lot of love for his son. He's like, I love you, little guy. Can you put your mom on the phone for me? At this point in the show, I think, like I'm trying to remember back to when I watched it, but at this point we don't really know if there's anything wrong or if this is just a matter of, hey, he got a great job and he had to move. Coaches do this all the time where they have to just go and the families have to stay back. And the way that Jason plays that scene where you can't hear her voice, you have no idea what she's saying. And he's, oh, I'm going to cry just talking about it. (laughs) Seriously, it's so emotional. It is. No, it is. And he he says, no, 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 that's all right. That's all right. I'm sorry. I was just, because he makes some comment about, yeah, we got to get you and the little guy over here for a visit. And that's when things go wrong. And he's saying, I'm trying to give you the space you need. And clearly, like, it goes wrong. He has this great day of acclimating. Clearly, he's tired. Clearly, this is brand new. But his home base is his wife and child, and that's what we see. And then we see it end on terrible terms. It's going to take some getting used to, yeah. But but I think once we get going, it's going to go all right. Yeah. No, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Oh, well, you know what? It's actually pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, it got a cute neighborhood, too. Yeah. Yeah, you and the little guy got to get on over here. Come check it out. But no, what did I say? But, I, but that, that's what I'm doing, though. I'm giving you that space. Yeah, 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 myself, right, huh? Okay. No, 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 that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, Michelle. I love you. 
And then he goes to bed, and of course he can't sleep because of the jet lag. So they they end it with a gag because they have to. But to me, like that scene gets me every single time, and I think the music has a lot to do with it. But also just who among us hasn't been in that situation? Not specifically, but when. Sometimes we have to go start new beginnings, right? Sometimes things just aren't okay. We have to start new jobs. We have to move to new cities. We have to start new relationships or something. We all have that moment at the end of the day with just ourselves where we have to live with ourselves and we have to listen to our own thoughts. And that is the quietest, loneliest place you can be. And no matter how good of a coach you are or how much money you're being paid to coach the soccer team in England, that's his moment of this is all I've got right now. And I think it's very sentimental and it sets up the rest of the show as something that's going to make us cry <laughs> a lot. And that scene stunned me because I, I I remember it was only a couple months ago for me seeing it the first time, but I remember just being legitimately surprised like, oh, I didn't realize we were going that deep with the show. Yeah. And it, it really sets you up for, okay, yeah, this whole season is going to be is going to be tugging at your emotions and it, it is not just going to be about this soccer team. It's going to be about a, a lot more than that. Yeah. And I think anybody with a family, anybody who's ever had to to like leave anybody they love, whether it's on good or bad circumstances, you can relate to that lonely, empty feeling of, well, it's just me and I better learn how to live with myself or else this is going to be miserable. And it's, it's sad. Yeah. And you get that little glimpse when they're on the plane, he looks at his lock screen, you kind of wonder, but you don't, you, you don't really think about it for the next, you know, 20 or so minutes, but then he has that call and it ties together. And you're like, okay, that's, that's something we're going to have to unpack here real soon because we need to know what's going on with with Ted's marriage and Ted's son and all that stuff. But I think my favorite is Ted in the locker room. Uh, I just love like we're getting down to business. Ted and Beard are putting the desk together. More just like the familiarity of Ted and Beard and really getting into that. It's one of my favorite relationships in the show. So I, that is my favorite. But in in Ted Lasso, you could say anything and it's going to work. Every part of these episodes are just absolutely fantastic. They are. And I think, and this like is not sentimental at all, but I'm now I'm just thinking about the sneaky one-liners that we don't catch the first time. So there's like, there's a part in the first episode and I can't remember, I've watched the first episode God knows how many times. There's a part where either Beard or Lasso says, smells like Axe body spray. And one of them says, I think they call it something different over here, which they do. So in the UK and, and a lot of different countries, they call Axe Lynx. And so when he finally finds it in the cubby, Ted says, Lynx, my favorite of the jungle cats. <laughs> it's just like that kind of, it seems like filler, but that kind of just like smart, quick writing that kind of acts as a cushion to all of this heavier emotional stuff. I just I don't see how you could watch this show and not just find it completely endearing. There's legitimately funny dad humor and there's corny dad humor and Ted is legitimately funny dad humor. Yeah, he really is. He's like dad with some actual wit and not just not just corny dad. Um, let's take a quick ad break and then uh, get back with our favorite one liner. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we are back. Um, Alex, this is a, a category that you kind of suggested and something you had talked about earlier in, in that how many, how so much of the show is built on these little under the radar, funny, quick one-liners that you, you might miss. Did you have did you have a favorite in this episode? You already talked about the the wonderful one-liner Rebecca gives us about uh, about Liam and Noel Gallagher being the coach's balls. Well, there's actually a second part to that that I think I like more than the Oasis. So, and most people might not notice it, and I guess I could be wrong about this, but I don't think I am. As the coach is leaving, he says something to her about, like, what's it like being the last to know you were cheated on? And she says, yes, can someone fetch me a salad? Nothing with raisins. And she's clearly <laughs> referring to his balls. <laughs> like, I was talking to someone about this a week ago, and they're like, oh, my God, I never thought of that. I could be wrong, but I know the few things I know about writing is that you don't waste a word. And in really, really good writing, whether it's on a show or a book or anything, you don't just waste a line like that for no reason. And I think it's a ball reference, and I think it's – completely brilliant but I think um even though this is a little cliche in the in the sense that I think this is probably everyone's favorite one-liner when Rebecca turns to Ted and says do you believe in ghosts he says yes but more importantly I think they need to believe in themselves (laughs) it's just so good it's so unnecessary and that's what makes it good is like that was a completely that could have been a throwaway line I'm so glad they didn't throw it away because it just fit perfectly and the cadence was beautiful and I just really love that line on a worse show with a worse actor you're kind of like that's that's not very funny but with Ted you're just like oh that is that is that's hilarious (laughs) so good the one that gets me is when um I, when Roy like stares at Ted and Ted says the the beard <laughs> the last time he saw eyes that dead Roy Scheider was staring into them and he's like oh Jaws no all that jazz amazing it's an amazing line and it like I love anything that requires people to Google something and I think a lot of people probably had to Google that Roy Schneider was in all that jazz and just the whole story behind like him being in that you're absolutely right and you actually just reminded me of another one. When Keely says to Ted, I never know how to react when a grown man is beatboxing in front of me. And Ted says, well, then you must not listen to a lot of Bismarcky. (laughs) (laughs) So, again, pointless and great. It's just perfect. How about that? Do you even tweet? Nah, but I do beatbox all right. I never know how to react when a grown man beatboxes in front of me. I hope you never run into Bismarcky. <laughs> it's so good. There's one that relates, to, again, relates to the, the Beer-Ted relationship is when they're getting off the plane and uh, Ted says the thing, you know, suddenly, uh, you know, I'm being served chocolate chip cookies and Beard says, I didn't get a cookie. Did you eat mine? And Ted just goes, oh, that's not part of the story. <laughs> <laughs> And like the way his hair looks, I mean, that entire thing 
was incredible. And there's actually a whole thing I'm looking for right now because I have, of course, I have the script next to me. Why wouldn't I? Perfect. That um, is exactly the kind of dedication to this episode I was hoping um, you'd have. Okay, so there's a whole, like, little monologue that was not included in the script. And, of course, I can't deliver it as Ted, but I just want you to hear this. Okay, so it takes place, like, right as they get off the plane. And they're talking about how Ted wasn't sleeping. And normally that cuts to, like, them looking for their driver. But in the script, (laughs) it has Ted saying... I did almost doze off at one point, but then I heard the all-too-familiar whispers of a lover's spat. Sure enough, enough, it was the flight attendant and the captain. They were going back and forth till she full-on dumped him. He turns around, tears in his eyes, walks right back into the cockpit. Now I'm wide awake, because my modest understanding of the fragility of the male ego, I'm thinking, oh hell, what's this guy going to do now? (laughs) But but he was a pro, got us here safe and sound. It's so good. This is where I kind of miss TV shows being on DVD. Know. You know, you get the, the big old box set because that would be on some sort of deleted scene. Like there has to be a take of Sudeikis doing it. I know. It. There has to be. And I would love to see it because it's just, it's great. I understand why they cut it. I understand why they have to cut a lot of things. But yeah, it's a gem. I love yeah, it. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I can pick a, a best one liner. They're all, they're all nearly perfect they're all good and it, it, the way that you know especially anything that bill lawrence is involved in and especially as we get later into the season zach braff they're so good at knowing when to insert them it's more than just having like a quip it's more than just being witty it's more than just saying hey that, that's a really great thing to piggyback off of so much of storytelling relies on structure and if you just bombard people with jokes left and right, they don't know how to handle it. Like, they, like they, we truly are not built to absorb all that and still invest in the story. And I think what this show does best that I'm obsessed with is it knows exactly the right opportunity to say, we're going to sneak that in. It may not make sense at first, but it's going to make you feel really good about it. Yeah. It, they. I mean, it's a from top to bottom, the, the show doesn't have a weak point. No. And the writing is is extremely strong. So I, I want to get into the category I'm calling on the pitch. So if this is your first episode of Big Screen Sports, uh, this podcast, the genesis of it was kind of talking about the sports action in sports movies. We've moved way beyond that, but have kept that aspect into each episode talking about how the sports look. Now, as I said earlier, I have a very base Premier League knowledge. Uh, I don't watch a lot of soccer. I, I watch the World Cup every four years and stuff. The The soccer I mostly watch is my son's eight and under team. And it is <laughs> it is brutal. Every Saturday, everyone pray for me. Um, I, I have a very base knowledge of how Premier League works. I kind of understand the relegation and things like that. But like, I got a push notification on my phone this morning about Manchester United or someone winning the Premier League title. I was like, oh, how about that? I didn't even know that was a thing. Where is <laughs> Where are you on Premier League and soccer? Oh, man, just so unknowledgeable. Like I, I mentioned, I was deputy editor at SB Nation for about a year um, from 2019 to 2020. And my boss, who lives in London, obviously was a huge fan. I So back when I was in college, I was a history major as well as a journalism major, and I – focused on British history. So I read 
the most brilliant book. I mean, it's one of my favorite books of all time. It's called Among the Thugs by Bill Buford. If you ever saw Green Street Hooligans, it was loosely based on that book, but the book is better. So I got this. I was in college around 2010. So yes, I saw the Green Street Hooligans poster in every door. Yes. Well, read the book because the book was the first introduction I ever had into British soccer culture at all. Um, and so my knowledge is very little. My son started soccer last year. He had like one game and then lockdown happened. They were called the Green Lizards. I couldn't tell you if they won. I don't remember. <laughs> um, it's certainly something I can see myself getting into, but I think it's going to be as a mom and not so much as a fan. So yeah, I'm in the same boat. It's like I can name the teams. I understand relegation. That's kind of where it ends. Yeah, I I want to shout out former guest of this podcast and one of your former coworkers, Richard Johnson. Yeah. Um, his podcast yeah Richard covered the replacements with me I think two years ago now um great episode love Richard I'm a huge fan of split zone duo and I can't remember if it was on their main feed or their patreon but they were talking about premier league the other day and like how they got into it and how to get into it so if you're someone listening to this and you're like I kind of want to get into premier league they they gave a good path as to do that so I would highly recommend that but the good thing about Ted Lasso is you like you don't have to know a lot about soccer. The the show the show doesn't really assume much knowledge out of the out of the viewer, especially because like the show is being marketed to the United States. Yeah. <laughs> but it it it's not like it's not demanding that much of you, I, I don't think. So like the soccer, you know, it looks good. Something coming from someone who doesn't watch soccer, but these guys look athletic. You get a bicycle kick, that's exciting. And Ted gets all excited about it. The most important thing I think is just acknowledging that it's ridiculous that he's here and and building some realism to that aspect. If it was a complete spoof, I don't think I don't think we we'd care as much as we need to, especially towards the end of the season. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think like that's that's kind of the whole point of the show is they're trying to show how he changes people, how he changes the team, how he influences them to want to live differently. I don't want to necessarily say better, but it is. It ends up being better. Like he's trying to get them to shoot for a higher ideal. Um, and so, yeah, I think like you don't have to be a fan at all <laughs> to be able to appreciate it. I, even though obviously we're on the first episode, the last episode when they did what was it the lasso special i was i love that oh i love it I so was much sobbing because it was like the first glimpse of college football i had seen in so long i was like this is sports it's so great but you don't have to yeah you definitely don't have to be a fan to appreciate any of that there are sports movies on this podcast that i have absolutely killed for getting the sports wrong just railed against them i talk about trouble with the curve every like three episodes it's just getting the baseball and that's so wrong if anyone tries to come on this podcast or like come to me on social media or wherever and complain about the lasso special it's a fight it is gloves on i will not hear a word against that scene remind me is the trouble with the curve the one with costner and kelly preston no, that is uh, for love of the game. Okay. <laughs> uh, Trouble with the curve is Clint Eastwood, Justin Timberlake, oh, Amy yeah. Adams, the worst movie of all time. Anything Costner is in, look, I'm gonna watch it. Oh, I mean, he's <laughs> he's Kevin Costner is is the is like the messiah of this podcast. Yeah. Um, he is also obviously like sexiest baseball dad on the planet. Um, you know, so Costner Costner has something for everyone. Yes. But yeah, I never saw Trouble with the Curve. It didn't seem interesting. It's it's not what you want. I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you that. But 
Um, so what else worked about this pilot episode that we haven't already got in? What, what stands out to you? What's something we haven't really got to about why the show works? I liked how they integrated the fan acceptance or lack thereof. How, like, you know, cause like I said, when I was reading Among the Thugs, which everybody go buy it, it's a great book. You really get into the culture of, of soccer, of football and to me fan culture is what I'm most passionate about when it comes to writing about sports and so when I think of England I think of pubs I think of people gathering there to be angry or happy about their club and I really love how they immediately integrated like there are going to be people who hate this guy like we can all find him endearing because we're seeing behind the scenes all they're seeing is what's happening on the field and that's kind of the story of every sports fan right like we don't really get to see (laughs) the inside story and so I like how you have this group of just jerks who are really mad at him and then you have like the bar owner who's telling him to give him a break um I I loved that because I think you have to get into the you know, the full part of it. And I, and I want to be careful because I can't remember. I don't want to bleed over into season two, but I would just say in the beginning in general, those first few episodes, you don't just see Ted at home and then magically showing up at work. They're very careful about showing him in the community, whether it's like playing soccer with a girl on the street or, you know, tipping the guy who's playing the guitar. You know, we have the biscuits being introduced. I mean, he really tries to assimilate to the community he's in. This isn't just him, like, making an excuse. Oh, I'm an American. Please forgive me. Like, it's it's showing you a side of a culture that maybe a lot of people don't understand if they haven't spent a lot of time over there. And I really appreciated that. It's not such a spectacle to see an American over there. Um, and so I love that in general. They do a lot of good work in making Ted just the most likable character in TV history. Like, that's my question to you. Is he the most likable character, just pure character in TV history? Okay, that's hard. That's hard for me to answer because I'm such a... There's t- been a lot of characters. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's tough. I'm such a TV person. And there are so many characters I really like. I, but I would say certainly recently speaking certainly the most likable and I think Jason Sudeikis in general is an incredible actor I have a small Sudeikis story that's kind of boring you got to drop it you're on a Ted Lasso it's, and it's not interesting when it gets to the Sudeikis podcast but so I lived in New York for about a year right after college this is going to sound like a lie by the way I just want to everyone needs to know this will sound like a lie and I have photos to back it up just so we all know so I am in a diner one night near my apartment, and I meet Daryl Hammond. And if you're not an SNL fan... Another legend. (laughs) If you're not an SNL fan, Daryl Hammond was on forever. Um, Played Bill Clinton, played uh, Sean Connery, very memorable character. And I saw him in a diner, and I kind of freaked out. And I was like, what do I do? So I end up waiting until he paid his bill. We introduce each other. I tell him that I was working for a magazine at the time. He had just written a book. We sort of become friends, and I realize at this point people think it's a creepy thing. It really wasn't. Like, he was dating somebody. He, if I was in the area and he was like, hey, come to the diner, and it would be him and a big group of friends, and he would do Clinton impressions, and it was amazing. Um, So one day, one Saturday in December, it was in the morning, I want to say it was like the first uh, Saturday in December, I'm just in my bedroom working on some stuff, and he texts me, and he's like, hey, do you want to come to SNL today? I'm doing Trump tonight. Now, this was 2012, so this was long before Trump ever, you know, 
Um, this is before SNL helped him get elected. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I would love to. So he puts me on the list. I like get dressed as fast as possible. I get a cab, go to Rockefeller Center. And the whole time I'm thinking it's a joke. I'm like, this can't possibly be real. And I go to the main like place where they would have to get my name or whatever and I give it to them and sure enough there's a name tag for me and they're like just get on that elevator go upstairs and you'll find him and I didn't realize they were sending me to like 8h to the studio or SNL practices I thought for some reason I thought I was gonna go in like I don't know an office where someone else would escort me but no the elevator doors open there's Kristen Wiig wearing like overalls there's Andy Samberg wearing a cowboy hat and I feel like I'm gonna faint and I eventually, like... If I saw Andy Samberg, I would have failed. I know. It, if I ever see Andy Samberg, it's lights <laughs> out. It was completely surreal. And I mean, for me, I was a lifelong, am a lifelong SNL fan. It was crazy. So I end up in Daryl's dressing room where he's getting ready for Trump and spent most of the day hanging out there. But every few minutes, like, Bill Hader would come by and say hello, and I would shake his hand and try not to cry. And Another automatic pass out for me. I know, Bill right? Keenan Thompson comes in at one point wearing a Santa hat and smoking a cigarette. <laughs> like, it was the most <laughs> insane day of my life. And the only big cast member that I hadn't met yet was Sudeikis. But I wasn't going to, you know, you have to be cool. You can't be the nerd or they're going to kick you out. So at one point, someone was like, hey, do you want to see the makeup room? And I'm like, I would love to. So they take me and they show me the makeup room where they make you know, the masks or where they just do them up in between sketches. I walk out and I see Sudeikis sitting on like a little staircase with these blue basketball shorts. Don't ask me why I remember that because they're not important. And he was on the phone with somebody. And I'm like, Alex, you have to find a way to meet him, but you cannot interrupt him. And I just stared at him like a creep for like 30 seconds. And at one point he looks up at me like, what are you looking at? <laughs> and then I just go back to Daryl's dressing room. That's where I spent the rest of the night. And that's my only Sudeikis story. And it's awful. I'm going to, I am going to always believe that if you would have hung on for like 15 more seconds, <laughs> he would have wrapped up his phone call and then gone into full Ted Lasso mode. I would have loved that. And he was dating Olivia Wilde at the time. So I figured maybe he was on the phone with her, but. It was just, I cannot even describe that day, but it was very, it was cool. If you grew up watching SNL and if you grew up with people kind of defining what comedy was for you, then as you grew up, and especially as you have your own kids, that just becomes part of your culture, your identity, and it's a very important thing. And so, you know, I... I would have watched this show even if it had been terrible just because of Sudeikis. Like, I would have followed him to the ends of the earth. But the fact that he really showed what he was made of and, and worked to make this an incredible show, it's all the better. I love that. Yeah, I'm counting down the days until I can show my son uh, Lonely Island. I'm thinking, like thir <laughs> well, I'm thinking like 13 for Dick in a Box, I, I think is probably... Probably going to be the go. I do not have a Jason Sudeikis story, unfortunately. We have never crossed paths, surprisingly. <laughs> That's my only one. Me, it's terrible. <laughs> me spending a majority of my life in Texas has somehow never come across Jason Sudeikis. Can't believe it. Well, it, it, one thing, going back to Lonely Island, I have showed my, my kid, he'll be eight this year. I have shown him Hot Rod. And oh, I mean that's yeah, that's a, a classic. So so our so our kids are the same age, and yeah, I think mine would also like Hot Rod. But how much did you have to explain or not explain? Well, 
I would fast forward through some parts. Like I didn't want him to see the first scene where the where the, like the stunt double shatters his femur because that was a <laughs> real thing. But I just wanted him to see the camp of it all. I wanted him to see, you know, the one-liners. He recently watched Napoleon Dynamite and thinks it's the funniest thing he's ever seen. So I'm just reliving my senior year of high school all over again. Um, he's really into campy humor. He really likes a lot of that. And so I guess he gets. You know, and when I was young, like I was watching SNL at his age, so I was watching things that were way too old for me. I think he's kind of getting into that too, but it's it's really special to me. I love being able to share that with him because I think comedy is such a lens for us, is such an escape, especially in times that we're in now where everything's uncertain and people are hurting and we're just trying to get back to normal. Comedy's the one thing that can remain constant, and I think it's a big part of why Ted Lasso worked when it did. So I, I kind of... I kind of want to run with that. Do you think because of just what we've all been through as as a human race in the last year, do you think that this season of Ted Lasso has the kind of legs of 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 other shows? Like, do you think in 10 years people are still going to be talking about this? Oh, yeah, I think so. I think, well, for one thing, it's like we talked about Eastbound and Down earlier. I even said to someone yesterday, Eastbound and Down, when it hit, really hit at a time when nobody was that concerned about anything <laughs> and like watching it now is hard because there's so much stuff in there that it's it's not about political correctness it's about comedy that is very harsh and you don't understand the purpose behind it like we all get a chuckle off of it but it's hard to watch now given what we've been through and given what we've seen and given what we've watched other people go through that we can never understand i think ted lasso has a universal quality it has a timeless quality where it, there aren't many things that are dating it very much. You have relationships that are failing. You have relationships that are thriving. You have a lot of change. You have the belief in somebody to do the impossible. I think those are always going to be fundamental elements in any good storytelling, whether it's TV shows or movies or, or stories that we read, books, anything. I think would you focus on those elements over this is what's funny at the time or this is what's trendy or this is what people are laughing at? That's how you create timeless things. It's why I can go back and watch Schitt's Creek a million times over because I think it has that same timeless, you know, it's a story of people who had everything and lost it all and found a way to build themselves back up. It didn't exist for the sole purpose of, you know, a trend or the way that Gen Z is, the way that millennials are. I think anything that has at its core a good story about people and what we thrive for and what we aim to become I think those stories are the ones that are going to endure and I think Ted Lasso is one of them yeah I think it's always going to be an easy watch that doesn't seem dated yeah versus like Eastbound and Down it does seem dated both in the style of humor and then it's just not an easy watch it's still Eastbound and Down has a a special thing and we kind of we had talked about it during the rewatch and that it's almost uncancelable just because like Kenny Powers is supposed to be a piece of shit. Like you're still like, you're like acknowledging that. Like it's not like it's not like you're smiling on the things he does, but but it doesn't have that same quality. Like Ted Lasso is always gonna be something that you can just throw on, especially when it, you know, it hits a streamer that more people have. Uh, which, you know, some point down the road it will. But as far as what else worked with um with this first episode, the only other real thing that we haven't talked about is and we, we touched on it a little bit, but Coach Beard spending he, he eventually spends the whole season learning soccer rules and phrases. Mm-hmm. Like you get the the boots in the boot 
in this one. And like, you know, yes. he's always there to like, oh, they, you know, it's not practice. They call it training and stuff like that. Um, that that's a funny running gag that they start to set up. And then uh, Roy Kent's first line being, if I don't hear silence, I'm going to start punching dicks <laughs> is probably the best, the best character opening line in this show. What I love about Roy's character and Brett Goldstein, first of all, is just such a brilliant actor and he's one of the writers on the show um, and I don't know if you listen to his podcast um, I'm gonna get the name wrong but it's I think it's the films you die with and the whole premise of his podcast is he brings guests on and the whole premise is that guest has died and so you go through a questionnaire of like what's the film you know the first time you fell in love what's the movie that defined that what's the movie that grossed you out forever what's the movie that changed the way you saw the world and he's one of the sweetest, kindest-hearted people. Even hearing him talk, it's just, he's so soothing. And so to see him in a role where he's just so mean, um, but he's hes gruff in like a way that you can tell he has a heart of gold. Like I, I mean, I could be wrong. I can't remember. I should have kept a diary of this when I was watching it at first. I can't remember how I felt about Roy in the beginning, it's hard for me to imagine me seeing him as a bad guy because from the beginning he had this kind of, okay, he's got a rough exterior, but at the end of the day he protects the little guy and he can be a total jerk sometimes because he's trying to protect himself, but that's not a character flaw as much as it is like him just needing some therapy probably. <laughs> he's wonderful. Brett Goldstein is wonderful and I don't want to step on future episodes, but the, the he the character Yeah. not even developed but like the growth of Roy and it's, it's just he he provides some of my favorite moments of the show and also as someone who has lived 30 years very baby-faced, I would like to just switch <laughs> hairiness with Brett Goldstein for a week just to know what that's like. Uh, <laughs> just I I just need to be in that world for like a week cuz he just about one of the hairiest guys I've ever seen. Um, so a category that I have in a typical episode, and I, I think we we might just want to make a, a determination here going forward. I usually talk about what didn't work in a sports movie. Is this a category that we need to eradicate from Ted Lasso? Is there anything from this episode that you're like, ah, oh, that didn't land for me? Uh, I don't know Like if it has to be a huge category because I don't know if it's consistent. There are always nitpicky things that my brain catches because that's just how I work so this is so petty and so silly one big thing that bothered me all season is if you notice on their team branding they do hashtag we are Richmond but they do three like spaced words they don't make them one hashtag oh no so it's hashtag we, we space <laughs> our space Richmond and I'm sure that's just me as like a media person a social media person and just as a marketing branding person, but they have it. I'm not going to say it's in every episode, but it's just throughout. And I'm like, like little details like that will just bug me. Not that it takes away anything from what we've talked about at all, but you know, it's like, it's little things like that. I think, I mean, it's hard to say. I don't think there's anything fundamentally that just didn't work. I think a lot of things, um, you could always go back and say, well, that's not very believable or that's not that. But I think as a show and as a story, more importantly, the story works. And for me, if something doesn't work, like I'm the first one to point that out. It's the main reason I don't stick with shows is because if I see something and I hate to like, I don't want to besmirch one of my favorite shows, but here's the thing. I went back and started watching New Girl recently because I had never finished the last few seasons. I just got busy. And but I loved the first three. 
And I watched the last few and it was just not great. Like the writing wasn't as good. It wasn't consistent. There were plot holes. And that's so disappointing when you invest in a story that's been so consistent for so long. And then suddenly it's like, who's working on this? Who's writing this? Who's approving these ideas? And that's why like, I know we have Lasso for at least another two seasons I firmly believe they're going to take care of this precious baby, but there would be nothing more heartbreaking than for this to be a show that just falls when it's late. Like everybody was mad that Schitt's Creek ended when it did because it didn't need to, but it was the smartest thing they could have done because if they would have let that go for three or four more years, I think it would have gotten bad and nobody wants to see that. You have a good product. You want to see it thrive as long as possible. Well, that's the thing with Ted Lasso is like this first season is just airtight and it I would have been heartbroken if the last episode was the last episode, but it also could have ended right there and been just a perfect season of TV. And I'm glad they're continuing. But I like you said, I I do hope they they take care of this precious baby. Speaking of of precious babies, this next next category new for the Ted Lasso rewatch category. I just have Ted is perfect. Um, Every every episode of Ted Lasso, you get these, these moments that make Ted so special as a person, just such, just a precious gem, just precious gem <laughs> of a human. That is, he, he's the best. He's like a walking happy meme makes everything better. In this episode, you actually don't get a ton of what makes Ted so special as a person. It's more getting acclimated to everything, introducing other characters. I feel like there's more later in the season, but there's also, there's also plenty of just precious Ted moments. I'm going to start out with the general, his general treatment of Nate is. Yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. Even before that, like I'm big on subtle things and I <laughs> like, I'll tell my girlfriends this whenever they're like going on dates or maybe they're starting new relationships and they don't know, they don't know how to judge it. And I always tell them, look for the subtle things and look for the subtle signs of respect where you can tell they're not doing it for show. Like it's truly who they are. And what I love um, in the first episode is actually when they get off the plane and they meet the driver, Ollie, who ends up working for the Indian restaurant a few episodes down. The first thing he says is, I'm Ted, what's your name? Like, people don't do that a lot. You see a driver with your name, you're like, hey, I'm Ted, let's go. You're not concerned about the other person's name. It's not a big gesture, but it's a big enough sign of who he is. Like, he doesn't get an award for doing that. Nobody was watching him do that. And I believe in that in people. I believe like that's how you can tell a person based on the small things they do. And so I think that plus the moment with Rebecca where he's like, how are you doing? Plus what you said with Nate, like the basic ways he treats people without making a big show out of it, I think says more about him than any big thing he might do. Ted, in the simplest terms, just respects people. He respects everyone he comes across. He gives everyone the benefit of the doubt, too. Yeah. But he also, it, it's not to say he's a pushover because, like, when he meets Rebecca's husband, you know, he he certainly mm-hmm. doesn't, like, he, he doesn't go fake nice. Like, he treats him as appropriately. Um, an- another precious Ted moment is when he covers the boobs in Jamie's locker with <laughs> tape. And th- and then that whole, it, the whole exchange with Keely, like what do you mentioned, the Bismarck key line and stuff like that is, it's just very, he's just so damn perfect. It's almost like it'd be irritable if Jason Sudeikis wasn't so good. Yeah. And I think, you know, what's interesting about the tape on the boobs is <laughs> like, I think the first time I watched it, I think I was a little bristled by it because I 
I I was watching it, but I wasn't watching it deeply. And so I was like, really? We're so bothered by boobs. We have to cover them up. And it took me a second or third watch to realize that he was doing that for her. And it was he was doing it under the impression that she didn't know her photo was up in the locker. And the way that I think we get confirmation of that is when she goes back and looks and smiles about it. Like, she's not mad. She's not annoyed by it. Like, she's comforted. Like, okay, he cared enough about me not to be objectified that he covered that. And we could have a million debates about that. I'm sure there are a lot of people disagree with me on that. Um, but I thought... I, I, I thought that was a really curious moment, especially in this climate, just to do something like that. But in in my opinion, the way they played it out, it was him knowing Keely enough, at least after the first meeting, to just show respect toward her. When she approves, it gives us, like, we approve. Yeah, when she, w- she smiled in relief. Like, you can tell. She's like, that's sweet. Because if you... If she had put it up herself and saw that, she would be annoyed by it. Or she would, you know, she, we know her character. By the end of the season, she wouldn't have shut up about it. I think she immediately took it as a sign of like, okay, he respects me as a person. And I'm not just some pinup girl in someone's locker. Mm-hmm. And it sets up for them to have a really good relationship as well. Yeah. So th- this next category is also suggested by a listener. Uh, best British culture versus American culture joke because it, that was kind of what the, the commercials thrived on. That's almost entirely what the commercials were about. It was basically soccer versus American football. Um, I didn't realize a selfie was called an ussy. Oi, mate, this is you. I believe it is. Oh, man. Legend. Can I get an ussy? <laughs> you know, back where I'm from, we call those selfies. Well, it's not myself, yeah. It's us and a ussy. Yeah, so that was ridiculous. <laughs> so that was so silly. I think and, you know, some things were like intentionally ridiculous, like the whole tea versus coffee thing. I mean, Brits. That are- was my that was my favorite bit. Just that I always assumed tea would taste like hot brown water, I and I was right. <laughs> that was right. How do you take your tea? Well, usually I take it right back to the counter because someone's made a horrible mistake. But <laughs> when in Rome, right? <laughs> yeah. Look at that. Okay. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I always figured that tea was just going to taste like hot brown water. And you know what? I was right. Yeah, it's horrible. Mm-hmm. No, thank you. Welcome to England. <laughs> yeah, get used to it, sucker, right? And I love that they continued that throughout. But I thought, you know, well, to me, the biscuits were so big because obviously we find out later that, um, and I might be good. I think I'm already going into episode two, so I shouldn't. But you know, he's bringing these biscuits to Rebecca every day. A lot of people would be resistant and just bake cookies and bring them every day and say, here are some cookies. But the fact that he was embracing, okay, they eat biscuits. That's what they call them here. I'm going to make the best ones or at least make her think that I've bought them somewhere great. I thought that was just lovely (laughs) to me because it just shows, you know, he's not being, um, He's not being ridiculous about it. He's not going around wearing the Union Jack on his shirts or anything like that. He's actually trying to assimilate into the culture. And I thought that was nice. And there are a few. I'm trying to think. There are a few other things in there that I. There's the one about whale. He's like, whales. Is that a country? Yes and no. Oh, yeah. Like, how how many, the structure of, of Britain. How many countries are in this country? I thought were a great one. And I don't think this made the final cut. But in the script, he's going over it again with coach beard at the pub and he says what about ireland and coach beard says that's a whole nother story (laughs) and so just explaining like what great britain is and it's kind of amazing 
how many, I don't want to just say Americans, but a lot of Americans don't understand like the breadth of Great Britain as more than just being England, that it's, you know, um, it's an entire country and, and everything. I thought that was, that was really interesting. And I don't know, I, I think the way they did it didn't make it seem, I don't know if you saw Emily in Paris or if you were forced to watch Emily in Paris. I actually, we we skipped Emily in Paris as a couple. Yeah, that's probably smart. So it was like, it's a perfect show if you just need something to binge. So I'm not hating on Emily in Paris. Technically, Netflix says it's called Emily and Perry because they wanted it to rhyme. And that's... Oh, that is, that is, I'm, I'm even more out on Emily unacceptable. in Paris. <laughs> they, that's a show that turns Paris into a into a spectacle of like, I'm going to wear a beret to work and I'm going to take French lessons. What I love about Lasso, especially like being as passionate about British culture that I am, is they didn't do that. They showed the obvious differences like, oh, okay, tea and all of this, but they didn't make it into a joke. They didn't make it into, oh, I don't understand you because you call things different. <laughs> you know, you have, you have a monarch. Like it, there was nothing like that. So I thought that was pretty refreshing. Yeah, it was, it was funny takes, but not tasteless takes. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think works really well. Um, okay, so the Lenny Harris Pinch Hitter Award for Best Supporting Character. I'm considering anyone, I, I, I think for the next 10 episodes, we just take everyone, anyone besides Ted who had the best showing in the episode. So with that kind of criteria, who who stands out for you? Because uh. we, I mean, we've got a couple nominees, especially because this show, this show kind of spreads the ball around this episode, especially like, Coach Beard gets a lot of play. Yeah. Uh, it's a really, really strong episode for Rebecca. Brett Goldstein, he's just a top tier swear. He doesn't get as much action in this episode <laughs> as he does in other, but just gets off some 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 heaters. Uh, Jeremy Swift is Higgins, who we actually haven't talked about at all, is the, the extremely nervous Higgins. And then Nick Muhammad is Nate, who's just, just, just as precious as Ted. I think I have to go with Coach Beard because it's the, Love Coach Beard. It's the first episode. And they're clearly setting him him up as more than a supporting character. They want it to be clear that he is like at Ted's side. He's not his backup. He's not the number two. Like Ted cannot function without him. Ted does everything with him. And not because he's dependent on another human being, but because Beard is smart. Because he knows what he's talking about. And you can tell as the season goes on, like that season would have gone much differently without him. And so I think episode one does a really great job at setting up that relationship, but also setting up just how essential he's going to be to the team's progress. As essential as he is to the team, it's the same thing with the show. That that Ted that Ted and Beer unit is like the fulcrum of the show. Yeah. I don't know if I'm using fulcrum. It is like the centerpiece. You can't have cannot have the show without the Ted and Beard relationship. It was Ted solo. In, in England, it does not work as well. Yeah, exactly. I think it's a wonderful team. And the fact that they're like really good friends in real life is nice too. Yeah, so I, I think Coach Beard is a good pick. I honor honorable mention to uh, Hannah Waddingham oh, as Rebecca. God. It's a really, really strong Rebecca. She is fucking powerful. A really strong Rebecca episode. She's brilliant. I love that, and we'll get to it in later episodes, but I love that they let her sing in the show because she's a brilliant Broadway actress and... I just, I cannot say enough about her. She's incredible. Yeah. 
I mean, I'm just, I'm excited to go into everything about the show. Uh, <laughs> so the, the category that is usually, it's my favorite in a sports movie, the big chill. Talk about the big chill moment, like Roy Hobbs knocking out the lights in the natural, the thing that makes, you know, the hair on the back of your neck stand up. Ted Lasso doesn't have a lot of those, but it does have very emotional moments. You almost started crying earlier talking about that call. Is that for you the the big chill or the big emotional moment in this episode? Oh, yeah, because... What do we know about Ted up to that point? That he's very positive, he's up for whatever, he's here for a new adventure. And then you have the gravity of him going home alone. And you can tell he's not used to being alone. And so he calls the only family he knows. And this is a different man. This is somebody who misses his son. He misses his wife. And no matter what's happened between them, I mean, this is where it gets real. This isn't just a funny show anymore about a guy who went to England to coach. This is a scene that so many of us have gone through before in one way or another, where we are suddenly alone without the people we love and we are lost and we don't know what we're doing and we're looking for connection and we don't want to be disconnected from the people we love. And that's the moment where like the funny stops and all the spectacle of, oh, he was the football coach who came to England to coach. It's where everything stops. And this is a man who loves two people who are thousands of miles away, and he doesn't know if they're ever going to be a family again. And it just hits you like a ton of bricks. And I think it is so, to me, like you can't ignore the gravity and the weight of that moment, especially using that scene to end the show. They could have stuck that in the middle and had him go to a practice the next morning and kept it light and funny. They ended it heavily on purpose. They chose that song on purpose. It was in the script. They didn't want anybody reading the script without listening to the song. There's a reason they wanted it to weigh as much as it did. And I think it's because there's not a single person watching that who can't relate to being separated from somebody because of shame or fear or loss. That's absolutely the big emotional moment, like the, the big chill moment in this episode. I don't have any argument against it. I, I will say that, though, that when he was putting up the believe sign, I think this only works in rewatch after you've gone through the gauntlet with Ted and AFC Richmond and you see these 10 episodes of what they go through and how they come together and how especially how episode 10 ends um, in the when I was watching when I was doing this rewatch and I saw him put up that believe sign for the first time, I, I, I felt it a little bit. I was like, they're about to they're about to run through this. This is, yeah. this is about to, they, they are, this is the corniest thing I've ever said on this podcast. They're about to believe. Ted's about to, to bring the belief out and he's just now starting. And I, I really enjoy the believe side, but you're, you're a hundred percent right that it is that it's almost a gut punch. That final, that final conversation, it really, it really brings us into a different emotional level that you weren't really sure you were going to get with this show, but it, it's a, it's a perfect scene. It's flawless. Yeah, I mean, the belief sign, obviously iconic. I have a workout tank top with that sign on it. <laughs> so, you know, it's and throughout the show, throughout the season, it becomes incredibly powerful. And I think it that scene alone gives you an idea of like no matter how nice he is, like he came there to win. But to him, winning is about getting these men to believe in the full versions of themselves. He wants them to reach their fullest potential because if they win and they haven't gotten there, it won't matter to him. Like his goal is if you believe in yourself and if you do the work, you'll get there. But if you don't do those things and you get there, it's not going to be as sweet to you. Uh, and I think you get a lot of that in that first you episode. You do. 
You do. The last category I've got is this a Hall of Fame All-Star Starter or Bench Warmer episode. I had a listener, Ryan Yeager, suggested rating the episodes on a scale of one to five biscuits, which ah! I, I kind of liked a little more <laughs> than Hall of Fame All-Star Starter or Bench Warmer because there's no bench warmers. There's no starters. There might not even be any All-Stars. This might just be all... I, I would feel comfortable saying that every episode in the show is a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I would too, actually. <laughs> so I like the biscuit system. So if you had to rate this one one to five biscuits. I think because so far, theoretically, we have nothing to compare it to. I think you have to give it five because it's- I think you have to get, this is like the baseline. If you say this is a five, this is a full in, like full level of enjoyment, Yeah, five biscuits. Yes, I think you have to. I think we reserve the right to knock this down a biscuit. In this rewatch, if we if we see fit, but I I feel really comfortable saying this is going to be five biscuits for the for the long haul. I'm comfortable with that because the, like it's like you said, it sets up the baseline for what we expect. We expect funny, and we expect emotional, and we expect character depth. And if there are episodes that don't quite reach that, then we can knock them down. Yeah, and this is as good a pilot episode as almost any show. I don't know how we haven't we haven't talked about that in in this over well over an hour, but this is one of the best pilot episodes of all time. Oh, one hundred percent. I don't even consider it a pilot. Like it's not a pilot in the traditional sense. When I watch pilots, you see characters that haven't been formed. You see, you know, sets are kind of wonky. Things are different. Everything is different. And then, like once you get into the show people finally like fall into their characters. They live into it. This show was on from the moment they started. And that's what makes it very theatrical. It makes it more like a movie. You don't feel like anything is wobbly. You don't feel like anything's going to have to change to make the rest of the show work. Yeah. It's not like the entire season one of Parks and Rec, which basically <laughs> had to be, re- basically had to be redone. But Alex, I am excited to to cover this entire season, to cover the next nine episodes. Thank you so much for joining me for, for episode one. This was a great time. Really looking forward to the next two months. Tell the folks again where they can follow you, uh, where they can catch your other work. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Alex McDaniel. I'm hanging out at Southern Living's TikTok channel if you want to check that out. And uh, I'm around other than that. And if you enjoyed this episode of Big Screen Sports, Ted Lasso, rewatch, subscribe wherever you get your podcast, rate on Apple Podcasts, leave a review. You folks know the drill. Season one, episode two, we Ted Lasso. It. Yeah, we'll, we'll be fine. It's, it's been a while. Uh, season one, episode two, Ted Lasso, come in action next Monday. And also, if you're a baseball fan, check out my interview series from Phenom to the Farm presented by Baseball America. That comes at you every other Tuesday for all you baseball fans still listening an hour and 20 minutes in. But uh, we'll catch you next week with episode two of Ted Lasso. Thanks for listening. How about I go ahead and address the larger than average elephant in the room? No, I have never coached the sport that you folks call football. And heck, you could fill two internets with what I don't know about football. <laughs> Hold on now. If I were to get fired from a job where I'm putting cleats in the trunk of my car. You got the boot for putting boots in the boot. <laughs> I love that. You know what the happiest animal on earth is? It's a goldfish. You know why? No. It's got a 10-second memory. Be a goldfish, Sam.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.